Welcome, everybody, to another Bangers and Classics podcast, um, which involves me, James Ruppert, and him, uh, David Malloy. And uh, where's David been this week? Oh, I've been a few places, not with yep. any great note, but in my somewhat limited travels, I have seen some classic cars, just for a change. Shall I tell you what they are? Yes, please. Okay. Well, we'll start off with a, a Ford Capri 2.8 injection. It was a blue one. It was on a low loader, looked presentable. I couldn't tell if it had broken down or if it was being transported for you know for some other reason. But it looked pretty good anyway. Then I saw an MG Midget on the road, a late one, 1979 or 80. Very, very good condition indeed. The owner wasn't afraid to use it in slightly inclement weather either, which I think you'd approve of particularly. Absolutely. Well done to him. Indeed, yeah. And the same day, I also saw an Allegro from the same period. So, uh, Paul, yeah, a V-registration Allegro. It looked well used, but it was being well used. So again, well done, whoever you are. And then uh, I saw a very, very, very pristine example of a car. I'm going to give you a clue as to what it was. It's Frothy Man. Right, that would uh, be a Cresta then. Yes, well done, sir. Hey, in case for younger (laughs) listeners, Cresta was a soft drink, what you you in England would call pop, what in Scotland would be called ginger for some reason that escapes me. Was a particular brand of it called Cresta, and their catchphrase was "It's Frothy Man." It certainly was. Anyway, yep, there was a two-tone Vauxhall Cresta. I think it was a PC, and it looked in absolutely spiffing condition. It was parked next to a filling station, so I presume it was being used. Uh, no one noticed at the time, but um, it just hadn't been teleported there. But not only that, uh, a few days later, I saw a fairly, I would say, quite well used uh, Lancia Integrale Eight Valve, quite an early one. Mm-hmm. It was parked off the road at a house, but again, it looks to be in regular use, given where it was, given its condition. I thought, yeah, there's mud on the tyres, etc. That's been out on the roads. Probably off the roads, too, by the look of it. <laughs> and then today, I saw a nice blue, uh, late chrome bumper version, MGB GT, um, oh, right. parked in the driveway. Again, it was quite inclement weather, and whoever owned it had taken it outside, so again, must have been using it, one presumes. And finally, to cap this bag off, um, I had another sighting of the Peugeot 309 from last week, and this time I nailed the registration number. And I can tell you, it's a 1991 309 GRD, which is a current MOT. It's an MOT into next year. Good condition. And you're going to like this, James. Yeah. The last MOT, it had covered nearly 175,000 miles, and it still looks good. Golly gosh. Excellent. I've looked at the MOT history, and it's had a fair bit of work done to it mm. to keep it going. But yeah, um, Fair play to whoever owns it. Well yeah. done indeed. So what have you seen? Um, I haven't seen a, a great deal, but I've, I've been bringing joy and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> pleasure to people's lives. Um, there was, I'll make a change. <laughs> it, was, it certainly does. Uh, there was a bit of a tail back on the tiny little roads where uh, I live because there was a it was a coach. Um, it was dolphin coaches uh, were, were, were coming down. So all these people were scattering all over the place. Um, and I'm in the baby shark, which of course is extremely narrow. So I don't really have to worry too much. I don't have to climb into the hedgerows or anything. Um, but the, uh, uh, the coach driver, uh, stopped when he came to me, uh, opened his door and said, you sir have a magnificent BMW. And that was very nice. I mean, that may have been a pickup line, but it was, uh, it was very, very nice of him to say that. Uh, and, you know, appreciate me being out and about. So uh, uh, it's always nice to get that the other way around when, uh, you know, people give you the thumbs up or uh, uh, say nice things to you. I was wondering if you got your autograph. Um, well, 
very, very tempted, I should think, but uh, I think he would have created more of a tailback if he'd uh, spent more time there. Um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, quite nice. It's always nice when somebody compliments you on something, um, which is I, would, uh, I wouldn't know, mate. I wouldn't good. know, James. No, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I, actually, I've, I've just been keeping it up for you know bangers. I you know I, I'm looking at 1990s cars uh, a lot. Um, I'm seeing a lot of Escorts, um, okay. a, a 1992 Escort in in reasonable condition but again like like we're saying these are people using them they're not they're not show cars you know they're not buffed um to you know extreme someone's in it and they're using it to get somewhere and do something which is fabulous and i parked yesterday next to a peugeot 106 and yeah. uh, you don't see an awful lot of those anymore but but they're still about but you you, you reflect on what a, a marvelous little car it is um it's uh, very nicely designed it's a you know very simple car um, but it's, uh, you know, whereas cars are actually quite fussy these days, it's, um, it, it really does look the part and it's very mm. sad to reflect that these tiny little cars, these little, um, uh, town center assault vehicles that we, uh, sort of used to take for granted are now don't make any sense today for the manufacturers because of CO2 requirements. Um, it's, um, it isn't worth their while to, to make these, but this one, it, yeah. was, it was 20 years old. And apart from a few dents, it was fantastic. You know, and again, right. it's it's a car that somebody's using, and it's you know it's it's only worth a few hundred quid, but it's uh, uh, you know it shows the way forward. And I think um, in a way, that I suppose that that should be the theme of, of today's show is that um, you know you can use use cars. Also, yeah, I saw a Honda Civic Estate. Um, it wasn't an Aero Deck, um, uh, which I'm quite familiar with, but uh, uh, again, it was uh, uh, you know one of those great '90s cars. Um, which go on forever and uh, will certainly do a job. So uh, that's what I've been doing. I've been keeping my eyes open for hardworking 1990s vehicles. All right. Well, I know a chap who's got two 106 rallies. Really? Yeah, he's got a white one and a mm. blue one, and he switches them around. You know, he used one for a few months yeah. together and jumps into the other one. Uh, it's the white one that's in use just now because uh, he and his older brother run a hotel. And I pass it. I was, old, I was at school with his older brother. That's how I know them pretty well. And... I go past the hotel when I'm going into town quite a bit. And, yeah, the 106 rally's usually there, parked outside. Very nice condition, I must say. He looks after it. Um, very much an enthusiast. And uh, it depends on what uh, month it is, whether it's the blue one or the um, the white one. But at the moment, it's the white one. Yeah. And he, he's using that to go to work. I know he doesn't just park it at the hotel mm. because he doesn't live uh, you know, too close to it, I don't think, anymore. So he, he must have a very enjoyable um, drive to work then in the morning. I imagine so, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, anything else, James, you've seen? Um, no. It's been quite a sad um, period that we've lost a few people, haven't we, lately? We that, have, uh, that we, we quite liked, so. yeah. Obviously, Jimmy Greaves. Now, yeah. you know, you think, oh, a Scotsman praising Jimmy Greaves? Well, yes, of course. Jimmy Greaves was a fantastic footballer. Uh, I was too young to see him play, um, but I well, principally remember him from the St. Greavesy TV show. But what's his link to cars, you might be wondering? Well, there is one which is why he's in Bangers and Classics. Apart from the fact that he seems to be a nice bloke, he did compete as a co-driver with Tony Fall on the 1970 London to Mexico World Cup rally, and they finished sixth in the Ford Escort, 1850. It was a tragedy he never got to play in the World Cup final. If anyone's interested, the story is he had hepatitis that earlier that year. He got back to fitness. He missed a lot of games that season, and he got injured. And he probably wasn't quite at his best because, obviously, the effects of the illness. Um, you know, the one season that he wasn't quite at his absolute majestic best, 
was the season England got to the World Cup final because he should have played in it. Let's be honest. Well, absolutely. He was also one of those players where uh, he would get thirty to forty goals a season, which mm. which these days is sort of un, you know unheard of. You know, you know, strikers get 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 fifteen goals a season and, and get you know humpty dump million quid. Wow. And uh, you know, he was just there, always there or thereabouts. He was a fantastic player, had mm. a lot of great cars, as you pointed out, a lot of forwards. Um, I did write about him in uh, World Cup Cortinas, and. Um, yeah, he was. Um, you know, he was. A, you know, as you say, he seemed. He, he seems like a very down to earth, and and he was funny. Uh, he was. He was. Yeah, well, definitely. He was extremely funny. He had a good sense of humour, did Jimmy, um, yeah. and that that's for sure. But you said about the amount of goals he scored. People need to remember as well that when he played, pitches were like a bog. Yeah, and defenders could basically legally kick lumps out attackers. It was almost GBH in a football pitch. Yeah, they could, they could basically it's, murder you, couldn't they? Really? Yeah, so, oh, just right. about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, however impressive um, Messi and Ronaldo's stats are, and yes, they are impressive. They wouldn't have achieved what they achieved if they were playing back then. Um, their career wouldn't have lasted as long. I don't think they'd simply been kicked out of the game. Yeah. And but anyway, that was Jimmy Greaves. We also lost uh, a chap we talked about recently, James. And I believe you're in a good position to mention him. That's well, yeah. uh, Clive Sinclair. Absolutely, yeah. No, we did. No, we did um, a fair bit on him quite recently. Mm. Um, and he is one of those. Uh, you know, the, the the word hero is used quite a lot and without very much mm. justification. Uh, but actually, he was. He was an extremely clever bloke. He was very um, far far thinking. Um, and it's a shame he sort of became, you know, the butt of the butt of jokes. But yeah. really, um, he didn't deserve any of that at all. And we've been through the C five. Um, you know, it, uh, it was a marketing issue, really. And uh, if the C five came out today, actually, he would be. Um, he, <laughs> people would say he was a genius and say, yeah. "What a wonderful car!" And you know, and that's what people should have. Um, so it, it wasn't his fault. But he was always committed to that. He also had the Zyke as well. Um, and actually, the C5 was a, a sort of a downgrade of his um, C1 um, electric car concept, which really was a car uh, that was uh, electric. But even he he found out that developing a car from scratch is is incredibly expensive. Um, and that's why that that didn't happen. And that's why we got the C5. But it doesn't matter. Um, he did. He did things. And he was extremely clever. Broke uh, pocket cal- calculator. Mm. Uh, the Sinclair ZX. I mean, anybody who's into computing had one of those and learned how to, uh, you know, uh, how to program. So, uh, he, you know, his legacy is um, quite incredible. And according to his daughter, I think, you know, in the last weeks of his life, he was still, you know, working on things still in his workshop, still doing things. So, you know that's the way um, I'm sure he would like to be re- remembered. Always trying to do, you know, the next the next great thing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, mm. That's a very good eulogy for him. Mm. And he he was a man who did create things. Um, he was ahead of his time, and he gave yeah. people affordable computers, starting with the ZX80 through yeah. to the ZX Spectrum. And there'd been these things. I'm, I was this is my era we're talking about. They mm. sold like hotcakes. I, I had did. a Spectrum. Yeah. And a friend of mine actually, the game published for the Spectrum. Um, I moved on from it into a Commodore because I was able, I could program it better for some reason. I could program in six five zero two machine code better than I could in Z eighty. He was a very very clever bloke, was Clive. Mm. And yes, uh, he doesn't deserve the butt of any jokes whatsoever. No. Bangers and Classics Hall of Fame. If we had one, we'll yeah. put him on it. I think we should. And on that somewhat somber note, I think we should take a very quick break. This is Bangers and Classics. Hosted by Lord Ruppert of Savile Row, 
and David Malloy, the man who's been over more bars than Sergei Bubka. And welcome back after that short break. We're going to go into the news section now, and we're going to limit it to a very, very brief mention of a rather unfortunate saga about uh, Bluebird K7, which isn't, of course, a car. It's a boat. It was uh, the boat uh, of Donald Campbell, who broke uh, both the world land speed record and the world water speed record. And tragically, uh, Donald Campbell was at the wheel of K7 when he met his demise on Coniston Water in 1967. Most of Bluebird remained down there for the next 34 years. It was then recovered, and believe it or not, um, it was actually restored. It needed a lot of new parts added to it to get it to a running condition again, but run it did. And unfortunately, as we speak, um, it's being broken up because there's a dispute between the people who restored it and the museum where it's to be displayed. Now, I'm not going to take sides in this publicly. I do favour one side, but that's neither here nor there. But what I would say is this, and I think this is an indisputable fact, an operational K7 has the potential to delight, enthrall, enthuse, and inspire in much the same way as the Vulcan that was returned to the skies for several years. And to me, its appeal is diminished if it's only a museum piece, irrespective of whether or not it's in bits or, or in town. What, what do you think of that, James? Well, yeah, I think I think you're right, David. Um, I think for anybody who isn't quite as old as me, um, it's hard to comprehend um, how, you know, what a big story um, all the Bluebird mm. things were. Mm. And I've just been reminded, actually, that I did have a um, Bluebird toy. Um, but it but it was a, it was a bit like a science experiment in that there was it was basically um, solid rocket fuel in it. So you so you could there was a, there was a car and there was the boat um, and you could actually insert this this um, basically a firework. That's exactly what it was. It was like a firework. And then you would light it. <laughs> and this was a child's toy. How fantastic was that? And uh, yeah, I'm sure I destroyed that at some point in the 60s. But um uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Donald Cam- Campbell and Bluebird was it was like the biggest story ever. For <laughs> it just went on for ages, and um, mm. he was, you know, a true hero. You know, a man daring to go faster than yeah. any than anybody else. So, yes. um, yeah, I it is a remarkable story. It, it bears retelling. Uh, there's lots of lessons for us to learn. And certainly, as you highlight from this current situation, there are lessons to be learnt learnt from this. And uh, mm. It does seem to be quite childish, really, doesn't it? It's just I'm, my abiding uh, emotion is one of sadness. Mm. Really, that, that's it at the moment. I mean, obviously, Donald Campbell, his father, Malcolm Campbell, yes. uh, was a mm. great world uh, record holder before him. We had a long tradition of that in this country. Yes. Uh, we're going back with Seagrave, Combo, yeah. Parry, Jones. Mm. Uh, I actually wrote about this some years ago, just on my own website. just wasn't a commercial piece. And I had to amend it. Um, because of the recent shenanigans, shall we say, um, to take out the last paragraph, it's not such a hopeful ending as it had. Um, And I can only hope that the situation resolves itself and we get to see Bluebird run again and run again in Coniston Water. That would be be great to see. We'll leave it to that, James. I don't have to say we don't want to become embroiled in this because, you know, it's a tough enough battle for those involved in it, I'm sure, without semi-qualified or unqualified commentators sticking their oar in. Exactly. uh, no pun intended. Anyway, so we'll move on to this week's banger, a classic. And we're going to go populist this week, just for the heck of it. We're going to go to the back to the days of the late 1960s. And this was the car you always promised yourself, James. It's the Ford Capri. Yeah. yeah. What do you reckon? Was it, is it a banger or is it a classic? Um, well, what it is, is obviously a, a Cortina in drag. 
um, <laughs> uh, really, um, as one car magazine described it. And actually, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Um, it's it's um, Ford were masters of marketing, and um, effectively, that's that's what it was. It was a very clever marketing job. But uh, what a what a lovely looking vehicle it was at at the time. So it, hmm. you know, it is absolutely a classic. Um, I remember spending many happy uh, days in friends' ones. I never owned one, but. It was still a big car in the 70s, um, you know, you could still, uh, you know, and obviously they still made it um, into the 80s. Um, and I think they kept on making it for the UK market, didn't they? Whereas elsewhere it sort of died off. Um, but we kept on buying them because we love them. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, it was absolutely a classic. Yeah, I mean, basically what you got was it was an affordable taste of American muscle car. Yeah. Uh, the style of a muscle car. Uh, but not always the performance. <clears throat> you could get a 1.3 litre guys, which you know wouldn't pull skin off a rice pudding, but it was cheap, it was economical, it was stylish. And of course, as you went up the range, then you got into the realms of the 3 litres, um, which had a decent turn of speed and a very mm. fruity exhaust note. Initially with the Essex V6, which was the 3 litre, and later on with the Cologne V6, which I think was 2.8, 2.9 litres. Um, I have driven one in the recent past. I drove um, one of the last models that's called a Brooklyn's, unofficially called a Brooklyn's. Yeah. That's the color of paint used on a Brooklyn's green. And I have never had a reaction driving a car on a test um, of the same magnitude as I had driving that Capri. Uh, a number of people who were waving and honking the horns, flashing the lights. I only drove it a handful of miles. Mm. The reaction inspired. Uh, was quite incredible. So I think that says a great deal about it. it so it's a great deal about the affection which they held. As I say, I saw a 280 injection uh, a couple of days ago on a low loader. Um, as my namesake, one of my namesakes out there, uh, actually owns one. Someone else in Ayrshire. Um, I used to see it from, I worked in a place called Irvine at the office window. Every now and then, I'd see the uh, red Capri going past. And I think, <laughs> that guy's got the same name as me. <laughs> Which he, which he was he was lumbered with, let's be honest. Yeah. Poor soul. Uh, I do pity him. There you go. But yeah, the Capri, I mean, obviously started out as a fastback. It uh, then became a hatchback. Became quite a practical car. It was a car for, if you had a small family, it was still ideal. It wasn't up to the standards of a hot hatch in terms of handling or performance. But it did give you a taste of, of that world with quite a lot of style and a fair bit of practicality. So you can understand why it was so successful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, we all yeah we all want one. Let's, uh, let's I'm gonna call it a banger though. Yeah, well <laughs> the thing was my my local garage, um, one of the mechanics uh, had one, um, and uh, the garage owner also has two CVs, and he said to me, I can get just about any part for a two CV for a full Capri, you can get nothing. So he was actually fabricating body parts because there is there is virtually nothing available, which is quite incredible when you think yeah, about how popular about they were. Mm. Well, absolutely. I mean, these things hold like, sold like hotcakes. Mm. I think the last one was sold 86, probably into 87. I think yeah. the stocks would have run out. But I remember back in about 83, 84, people across the road had a, two, a 2.8 injection as well. And that was when it was brand new. They Did they give you a lift, David? At all? No, no. no? You, oh, well, that's a shame. You, you should know by now, James, <laughs> that people who live across the road from me, whether they're on a Ford Capri or a hovercraft, do not ever offer me a lift. Well, that's why, that's why um, I said that, David. I was, I, know. I was being unpleasant. I do apologise. No, you don't. It's perfectly, <laughs> it's perfectly accurate. How old was I then? Uh, be about 15 with a hovercraft. I'd be about 18 with the Capri. Mm. And I, yeah, they didn't offer me a lift. Um, <laughs> but, but there we go. I don't know if they actually. I wonder if they actually put a bag of cement in the boot. Mm. 
because that because the Capri was so light at the rear, everything was it was a bit like the Jaguar E Type. It was everything up front mm. and nothing much over the rear axle. It could, could become a little bit skittish, shall we say? And the, the way to get the best out of one, basically to keep it on the road, was to stick something heavy in the back, like a bag of cement. And, you know, a lot of rear drive cars used to be the case people did that. Um, I believe you are familiar with that technique. Absolutely, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, um, uh, packet of spuds or, a, 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 as you say, a bag of sand. And, uh, yeah, that would uh, make a lot of sense, uh, especially in the yeah. winter. Yeah, but the thing, with, the thing with the Capri is lightning never struck twice for Ford. Obviously, the Capri stopped, they brought out the Probe, um, they brought out the Cougar, and neither of them sold anything like the numbers of the Capri. Things had times had just moved on. Yeah, but if you right. see, a, but if you still see a Capri out there, people will flock to it. It's, it's just got that sort of magnetic attraction. So obviously, in spite of having said it was a banger earlier, I was just talking nonsense here. Of course, it's a classic, and you know, it's more than entitled to that status in my view. Absolutely, David. Yeah, it's a two thumbs up from us. It's uh, yeah, that uh, hall of fame that we're that, that we're building. Uh, we we can just reverse one into it now. Let's go and find out a blue one I saw the other day. It looked in good condition. Yeah, well, we've got a break coming up, but before we do that, James, I want to know yeah. your opinion on this. Mm. Uh, I do it with Capris. Yeah. It's do it with wheels. Oh right. Well, well, well Capris oh. are wheels. Obviously, depends. Oh, got a set of wheels, mate. But yeah. we're talking about wheels. Wheel size. Yeah. What do you think? Big wheels small wheels what would you prefer it depends what what fills the arches actually i mean strangely enough i've been looking at new tires for the baby shark and they're only 13 inch so they're they're actually not that not that big um and yeah i've got i've got 10 inch uh on the mini cooper so those are those are tiny tiny wheels and there's obviously a big story attached to that because um uh uh, gkn and and uh, uh we sort of had to build um you know tiny tiny uh, uh, brakes and uh, suspension bits and all sorts so that's uh, sort of quite a story in it in itself but whatever's appropriate i mean i suppose i'm on the i'm, a, I'm on the tiny side of wheels really apart from uh, the larger ones which are on the land rover but uh, yeah i mean whatever is appropriate really whatever whatever fits and looks right i prefer smaller wheels um mm. the yeah. simple reason the better ride comfort mm. Um, obviously, the wheel actually should be should be actually, scaled to be proportionate with yeah. the size of the wheels. But the, the trouble is, you know, you see a lot of cars nowadays, and they've got wheels the size of a blooming flying saucer. Yeah, and yeah, they, they, they might look okay. Some of them do, some of them don't. But the right quality isn't what it could be, and the reason for that is, of course, is so much unsprung weight. You want to keep that down in the car. That was what I was always told, anyway. And so, yeah, smaller wheels and tires um yeah you could have nice low profile tires nice wide tires and you know keep the weight down and well, get it a comfortable it, yeah, ride. it's important yeah when i had my um shed seven a few years ago um i mean that basically had balloon tires so it, you know there was nothing low profile about it at all but it was marvelously comfortable shed yeah. seven yeah did they burn the disco down um i don't know about that um, right just, just checking. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that had big, big, big fat old uh, tires, and yeah, you compared it to the new gen- generation of you know limo, and uh, yeah, you, you'd feel every single you know pinprick in the road. Whereas mm. the, with my one, it just uh, it sailed everywhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you had a, give me a good example. Uh, so Lotus Elan M100, which I you know, bang on about every now yeah. and then, but the earlier ones, some that feel like the Phase One cars, uh, had fifteen-inch alloys. 15-inch wheels. Mm. The Phase 2 had more attractive wheels, 16-inch wheels, and the ride quality suffered. 
that stuck to the road even better than the, the phase one, which was no easy feat, let me tell you. But you did feel that you you get a bit more, your spine get a bit more of a workout in a phase two, whereas on the, the original LAN, um, it had very, very uh, good ride qualities indeed. I mean, the phase two was okay, but by comparison or in comparison, it wasn't quite as good. And the only the only difference between them really in that sense was the, was the wheels. You're increasing the, the amount of unsprung weight. Yeah. But there we go. So, yeah, I'd always go for smaller wheels and keep the weight, uh, the unsprung weight down and try to <laughs> limit the uh, the impact on my back, as it were. But I'm a bit biased because I've got a damaged back as it is. Anyway, we'll take a quick break there and we shall return with more nonsense. This is Bangles and Classics with a newsflash. Our campaign to have lead-free pencils in schools has been successful. And to celebrate, we are going to offer free skiing holidays for pensioners to the EU Butter Mountain. And we are back again after that break. Uh, we had a challenge this week. Um, Did we? Yeah, I knew James was going to say Is that the case? Him. Yeah, because he couldn't find the email I sent him. <laughs> so so this is going to be quite interesting. The challenge was, uh, one of one of us has done it. <laughs> Other one's going, <laughs> going to be busking. Uh, the yeah. challenge was to find a 1970s BL saloon car yeah. with at least three months MOT yeah. for under 6,000 quid, which is quite a lot for a BL car, let's be honest. But that was a challenge. And to give James a chance, I'll give you a couple of examples I found. Well, I might have found one, David. You never know. But uh, you, you know, you you tell us what uh, you've um, what you. Oh, you you like you like Demi because you know your car sales experience, James. I don't think so. Oh, I think you probably will. Now, the first one, this one was MOT exempt, obviously. So I should have thought the age of these would be. In. But the, I did find one with an MOT, but this one hasn't got an MOT. It's a Blue Marina 1.8 TC with four doors, and what attracted me to it, yeah, was. Someone has fitted it with a 1980s Pontiac Trans Am front splitter or front spoiler. Goodness me. Uh, I don't know why you'd do that to Marina. But if you're interested, it's on eBay. It's 2750 quid. It's blue. Have a look at the ad if you yeah. want to. It, it's there. I'm making no further comment except it has got a Trans Am splitter, uh, which appears to have been joined in the middle by uh, a piece of aluminium. Anyway, so that was one. Yeah. Uh, I also spotted, and if I can just review my notes for a second or two, was an Austin Allegro. I think it's also on eBay. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a, it's of an age where it doesn't have an MOT. Um, it's only done 21,500 miles. Dates from 1978. It's bronze, and it's got a five-speed gearbox. And, of course, it's a petrol engine. Yeah. Uh, so it's a 1.5 Super Deluxe. That's it. It's never had a radio fitted. Uh, at all, apparently, right. and it's been it was dry stored. It says in the ad for seven years in a private collection. Yeah, and according to the ad again, it runs like a Swiss watch. Yeah, so it's only two and a half thousand pounds. That's a classified funny. ad price. Yeah, that actually seems a, quite a reasonable buy to me. Yeah, if you if you're looking for an leg one, I'm not going to slag them off because part of my youth, part of my childhood, etc. And, you know, if you like an Allegro, good luck to you, as I always say. Um, but this one seems to be quite a decent one. The engine looks a little bit murky, as if it could do, engine bay could do with a good clean. Mm. But uh, for two and a half grand, what are you going to do? What else are you going to get for two and a half grand? I do not know. So you've got that. And finally, there was a Morris Marina, uh, which was a 
believe a 1.8 Super and is described as a good working classic car. Now there is some rust on the front valance I can see, um, but it had an MOT earlier this year, it didn't have to be an MOT because it is exempt, it was MOT'd on 8th of May and I've checked this, it passed and there's no advisories. Low mileage until 2018, at which time the speedo cable broken, uh, broke. And you know, then it had done 32,000 miles. So it's not going to have much more than that now. Maybe 33,000. Um, it's 4,500 pounds. It looks okay. Uh, it's been touched up with paint. It's basically, the, the ad's quite honest. It's, it did a full repaint uh, to make it perfect. Um, but it's been mechanically overhauled. They say no visible oil leaks. And so it's only a tiny amount of welding. And it's, it's got a heap, a heap of paperwork with the original bill of sale and the original Leyland passport. Uh, so there you go. So there's quite a lot of good things in the, about that car. It's in white and it's uh, a 1.8 litre. You know, again, if you're looking for a marina, that's a good one to go for, I think. It will need some work to really bring up to, I think, to show standard, but it is achievable. And it's achievable, I think, you know, fairly reasonably you know, on the face of it. So have a look at eBay. You'll find that one there. So those are my selections, James. Um, well, uh, well, just to annoy you, David, um, what I've got, um, I've got a 1980 <laughs> Triumph Dolomite 1500 HL automatic for sale. Um, and that is, uh, it's a, yeah, um, let me see, I mean, it, it brings back lots of memories for me because I did have a, uh, uh, it wasn't a 1981, but I did have a 1500 HL automatic and also an 1850 um, HL automatic. So I thought, yeah, let's get another one. So what would I pay for that? Well, apparently uh, I, I can make a near offer, uh, but it's 4195 and uh, it does look in really good condition. It's one of those cars with um, uh, a badge bar at the front. So they've got all the all the badges uh, attached to the front. So it's obviously someone who's uh, looked after it. Um, 98,000 miles, apparently. Um, I'd like to know the state of the gearbox. And uh, they say everything's uh, jolly fine with their car. Um, uh, he's owned it for two years, um, but he doesn't use it very often. So um, he's selling it. So uh, I think we should uh, go down there and uh, uh, bid him down. And uh, I think that would be a remarkably nice car to um, have. Uh, very, very comfortable. There's a bit of wood inside, obviously. Uh, nice velour seats, um, headrests and all that uh, uh, guff and uh, the bonnet um, opens in the correct fashion it's hinged at the front and, well it's very uh, important very important in a British Leyland car because they usually open quite a bit <laughs> uh, just I want to stop the idioms for a second yeah. you did say beat him down didn't you because I, I just had visions of you putting your hobnail boots on from last week and saying you were going to beat him up I thought well, that's just a bit harsh there you go well these are these are these are tough times and they call for tough action so uh, <laughs> that's what I hope we're doing but uh, I do need you to strong arm me uh, uh, in this David so that uh, we, we can get this at the best possible price Right. Um, and uh, then we give it away in a, in a bangers and classics com competition. I, you know, I think that would go down quite well. Yeah, probably would do. Yeah, yeah. yeah but with the winner. Yeah, but who wouldn't be Matthew Corrigan? <laughs> I had to get uh, that in there. Sorry, Matthew, but there yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, no but, point. In no point in complaining, mate. You know the rules. No. Yeah, uh, but, but yeah. it's also carmine red as well, and that, one of my ones was a carmine red, and yeah, beige interior. It's it's uh, yeah. I'm I'm gonna have to. Yeah, as soon as we finish this podcast, David, I'm off. I'm off to, uh, uh, I think, where am I going? Where, is, where does it say this car is? It's always a long way away from me. Hawley in Surrey. It's going to take me a few hours to get there. Uh, but uh, I'll go. 
Um, it's got a GB sticker in, at the back. It's uh, got a heated rear window. So uh, that's fantastic. It's uh, ready, um, re ready to roll. And where can we find this car? Um, uh, this one is is on um, Car and Classic. Right. If you go to Car and Classic, they've got a reasonable selection. I find it's you know there's a, there's there's a, always a good mix of cars on there. So uh, when I have to yeah. do an emergency search, when uh, I have to pretend that I've I've done research on this, um, uh, I always go to uh, Car and Classic. <laughs> who haven't haven't paid me to say this, but uh, I find them quite good. Yeah, I've struggled with them a little bit lately myself, I have mm. to say, because I've been looking, there, that is usually an early point of call for me, but yeah. I couldn't really find much what I was looking for this week on it, but yeah. possibly because I was looking in the wrong place as usual, yeah. uh, or for the wrong car. I don't think I looked for a Dolomite, I, I did, I looked on I looked on eBay for a Dolomite, uh, looking for a princess really, uh, but aren't we all, you know, well, yeah, I, I know, David, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Whose who's dad owns a brewery, but we're yeah. not, <laughs> we're not going to go there either. Uh, right, so you're going to go for the Dolomite. I'm going yeah. to go for, I think, the Marina rather than the Allegro. But uh, if you want to buy the Allegro and save two grand over the Marina, then you know I, I wouldn't blame you either at all. I really wouldn't blame you. So, right, we'll move on from that. And what do I do next? Oh, yeah, the worst attackiest car commercial. P possibly not the worst attackiest, but, you know, one that's, particularly stuck in your mind as being a bit naff and i can think of one that is so naff it's actually really good do you want to know what that is james uh, yes please because okay. um, you know i've been looking into this for days and uh, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't quite decided uh, which one is the tackiest yet no you haven't looked yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, <dear>, yeah <laughs> well this one is courtesy of our old chum gavin braithwaite smith who we've mentioned a couple of times Gavin runs the Petrol Blog website. It was Gavin that uh, brought my attention, indeed the world's attention possibly to this a few years ago, when he pointed out um, a German advertisement for the Honda Jazz. Now, I'm informed by the people at YouTube, because I found the advert, that it dates from 1984. It certainly dates from around about that period, and it seems to feature, one part, someone who looks rather like a young Robin Gibb. Um, I can't describe the advert. It's bizarre. It's ultra bizarre. The behaviour of the people in it uh, makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it's so rubbish that it's actually really good. And as soon as we're finished podcasting today, I'm going to go and watch it again. So that is my choice. You'll find it on YouTube. If you just type in German Honda Jazz Commercial 1984, it'll take you straight to it. Or better still, go to Petrol Blog and type in Honda Jazz in the search box and you'll, you'll find it there. Give Gavin the hits instead of YouTube. So what we found, James? Are you still looking? Well, I, I, I didn't need to look, David, because uh, there was there is one there is one advert that plays in my head, and uh, uh, it, it is it is brilliant and tacky um, uh, both at the same time, and it's um, it's good old Bruce Forsyth. Um, mm, good game. Flogging, yeah, absolutely, it was a good game, and uh, he's uh, flogging a uh, Chrysler, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a you know a sort of a game show format. You know, he's you know he's um, you know doing. You know what I would have done when I was in a showroom. Obviously, I'm showing off, uh, like 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 Bruce, and uh, he throws a bucket of water over the um, uh, and go across. I thought it was an estate car, but I could, but I could be mistaken. And um, uh, that was just to prove that it had electronic um, ignition. But um, yeah, that's quite solidly in my head as uh, a tacky but still quite brilliant advert because uh, right. uh, Bruce is in it. Well, yeah, Brucey was great. When you said flogging the car, I had visions mm. of him whacking it with a tree branch like uh, Basil Fawlty hitting the Austin 1100 Countryman. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, that's just you, Dave. That's just the way your mind works. But, uh, but you know, I, well, it doesn't really work, let's be it, honest. Does it? <laughs> it's, it stopped working a long time ago. Yeah, but yeah, I would I would go and have a look at that advert. I haven't seen it for ages, so you can tell me uh, uh, what I've what I've got, what I've got wrong with it if you want. But uh, it's uh, it's worth finding. The two Ronnies also flowed cars, did you know? At one point, they did uh, minis, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, uh, all sorts. I think the uh, yeah, yeah, did Spike, a few. yeah, yeah. Spike yeah. did minis, didn't he? Because uh, Spike. Spike Spike didn't take any money for those adverts at all. He did it because he thought it was helping um, you know the country and stuff. So that yeah. was. Quite remarkable, really. Spike Milligan. There, Spike there was Milligan. a ge- there was a genius. Absolutely, he was mad. But oh boy, Zell. yeah, <laughs> you couldn't dislike Spike. I really, I no. really don't think you could. If you if you dislike Spike, I think the problem is with you, really, rather than anything else. Well, that's and, right. What um, isn't the isn't the great story about um, uh, uh, Peter Sellers buying uh, a brand new? I can't remember which which car it was. I think it might have been a Rolls Royce or a Mercedes. I can't remember, but he heard a squeak. Um, and Spike Milligan ended up getting in the boot of to 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 find this squeak, and they were stopped by the by the the uh, police who said, you know, can I look in your boots there and all that. And he opened it, and there was Spike Milligan. They said, "Oh, it's you!" and and he just and he just got back into his patrol car because he just thought, well, it's Spike Milligan and it's Peter Sellers mucking about in cars. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently that is a true story. Yeah, you see, that's that's what made life great in those days. Yeah. You know, the maniacs, but wonderful maniacs. You know, what can you say? We do miss them. We, we do. Re- we really do miss them. I know they've been gone for a long time, but, you know, they made the mark, and it's uh, I think it's an indelible mark, at least as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, one more thing for this week. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, we've got to give, got, I've got to get a value out of James. I mean, yeah. what innovation... Was new opinion best for the motorists? You know, that's from the 1960s to date. You know, right. Something like traction control, remote central locking, high-level brake lights, furry dice, that kind of thing. What would you go for, James? Uh, I don't know, David. I'd like to hear what you uh, decided first because um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I didn't, I didn't, I still didn't find that email that, that you sent to me on Wednesday at 10:22. Yeah. Yeah, the only reason I know the time of it is I've got it right in front of me to remind me what I'm supposed to be talking about. <laughs> yes, this is this is uh, the, this is as close as we get to a script in this. Yeah, is as an email says we should we talk about these things. That's right. Yeah, and, well, you know, essentially David is my carer and he just tells me what to do and I, and I just go along with it. And oh uh, god, you're in yeah. trouble, mate. If I'm your yeah. carer, god, well, there, there you go. I, I can't mean, look I just, after myself. <laughs> I'm not fit to look after myself. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, have to assign a, a small part of my vast fortune to David. Uh, apparently, he, he drew he drew this up. It's all legally, you know, fast fortune, completely Ooh, wait, proper, completely proper, and, Pro- uh, proper governor, proper yeah. job. <laughs> so, yeah. David, what, so yeah, what uh, what what couldn't you drive without then? Oh, what can I drive without? Uh, let's come in, crikey. Um Traction control, yeah, it's all good and well, but the best form of traction control is your right foot. Let's be honest. Anti-lock brakes. Yeah, probably go with those. Um, very, very useful. You should learn how to cadence brake anyway, because in some surfaces, anti-lock brakes don't really work very well, such as snow, I found. And you, if you don't know what cadence braking is, look it up and learn how to do it. It's quite important. Remote central locking, yeah, I do like that. So, anti-lock brakes, yeah, from a safety point of view, but just from being an incredibly lazy point of view, I'm going to go remote central locking, which was not the first car I ever owned. Uh, from 1988 was a Renault 11 Turbo and remote central locking and I had hours of fun 
um, getting the lights to flash on and off and people walking past it, <laughs> thinking they'd set the alarm off or something, because uh, very few cars had remote central locking in those days. So, yeah, for all the fun it gave me, I'm going to go remote central locking. What do you think, James? Um, you're going to go something like infotainment screens, aren't you? You know, touch yeah, screens. Probably, yeah, quite possibly. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know me too well. Strange enough, um, yeah, I experienced um, uh, uh, ABS um, when I was uh, starting to sell cars because very few cars had ABS. So you had mm. Mercedes and you had BMW and that was it really. Um, and it was quite interesting to be, you know, in the back of a car when someone was slamming on the brakes. But as you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever met anybody, uh, with certain exceptions, who actually knows how to use ABS brakes or how it makes their lives, uh, you know, how it how it would preserve their life in an emergency situation. I don't think anybody knows what it actually does, which is a which is a great shame, really, isn't it? Um, and as you say, cadence braking is a uh, is a life skill that most people in uh, certainly Sweden uh, in the 60s and 70s knew how to do you know, yeah. just as a it, it would just pass by osmosis from generation to generation um, and yeah yeah I suppose in a way I do agree with you uh, about ABS brakes um, even though no one knows how to use them um, <laughs> <laughs> at all and yeah all those electronic devices I'm I'm really not not quite sure uh, exactly uh, what they what what they do they just something to go wrong and you know something to fail and give you a problem at uh, MO, MOT time yeah so uh i don't know i did think of something earlier on and then, and then it's gone out of my head as i went on this rant about abs brakes but oh, um so traction control just going back to talking about tacky and rubbish ads yeah there was one i think for the Vauxhall course oh, david you sound as though you're at the bottom of a bucket do i yeah oh hang on a second Okay. Sorry, James, just climbing out the bucket. Oh, no, that's good. <laughs> I, I've, I've now climbed out of the bucket. Yeah, we're talking about tacky ads and rubbishy ads. Yeah. There was a Foxhole Corsa ad once. Somebody was asking for directions, and he was given, being given directions by somebody else. Said, oh, there's a corner there. You might want to use a traction control on that. I thought, what? <laughs> the car's handling is that poor. You're going to require to use traction control. Yeah. Get a better car, mate. That was, that was it. I thought... Whoever scripted that ad, yeah, you got the you mentioned traction control in it, but it was such a poor mention. Oh dear, no, not good at all. Uh, but there, that was. No, that, I just thought I'd chuck that in. Absolutely. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, I, was, I think it's two things. Uh, I do still like the front hinged bonnet. I think every car should have a front hinged bonnet, so you can you can dive in uh, rather than bash your head on what's there. Um, or the uh, little um, lever I've got underneath the seat on uh, the inner chenty, which I pull up and it opens the um, hatchback, and that was in that was from you know the 1970s, so uh, that made life uh, a lot easier. Uh, I used to have a friend who had a Mercedes where you know you, you pressed the button and the boot opened, and uh, he came around to my house, and everybody else who came around, he would go outside and demonstrate um, to everybody how he could open the boot <laughs> without um, without touching it. But uh, I could do that beforehand. I could do that uh, with my 1970s Innocenti. So yeah, bonnets, bonnets and boots. That's what I. Like. Yeah, only problem with the remote boot release was not electronic. Is cable snapping? It's trying to replace the cable. Yeah, I have had that myself mm. in cars uh, with remote boot releases yeah. and the, the cable snap, and you can't get in the blooming thing. Well, well, when mine goes, you can come around and do it, David. I'll, 
Rely on your experience. Oh, no, I'll just take a hammer to it probably really? or something like that. Yeah, yeah oh, God, yeah. yeah. Um, the story of me building the wardrobe once, uh, my, my wife dines out in that story. It was only saved from total destruction by the arrival of a friend I'd phoned earlier. Yeah. Uh, the opportune arrival, but of a friend I'd phoned earlier. So, yeah, I'm not the best at fixing things. Um, yeah. Can't fix nothing, Governor. He's an idiot. Well, and on that note, I think we shall call it uh, a day for this week's podcast. Thanks very much for listening. We hope that you join us again next week. And uh, simply say cheerio. Yeah, and it's uh, goodbye from me. So, uh, yeah, see you next week. And uh, hopefully on YouTube, uh, you won't get exactly the same program that you got the previous week. I mean, that was just that was just a test because there's only about three people li- listen on uh, YouTube. But, uh, yeah, that was a slight mistake. And I'll put my hand up to that one. Yeah. Well, of course, you may, it may happen again. You'll be so excited about your new Dolomite. Um, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, it could happen again. Anyway, yeah. cheerio. Yeah, I'm off to I'm off to find a dolly.